Welcome to Offscreen. Let's get cinematic. Hey, Van. Hey, Bex. We're back and there's movies. It's fun. I'm glad you talked me into this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we're in our second week of lockdown. Things are maybe feeling like you've got a bit of slim pickings when it comes to what to do with your time. But do you know what? We're keeping you on your sofa with your, our seven-day guide to everything movies. So don't worry, guys. We have got you sorted. And you know the best part? I did the math. We've got 14 films to cover for seven days. So that's Whoa. not a bad haul. That is not a bad haul. And do you know what, guys? It can only get better, right? So uh, <laughs> let's kick off this week with actually something I was really excited to catch. I haven't caught it yet, but I'm going to this this weekend it's called billy it's on limited theatrical and on demand from today so what's it all about i think i can guess actually so naturally enough this is the biographical documentary centering on billy holiday but there's a bit more to it than that so director james erskine has who uh, did the ice king a few years ago if you remember that the figure skating one um he's he's brought this this to the screen what this this represents is a decade's worth of research on billy holiday and I don't mean someone did this over the course of the last 10 years. Someone did this over the course of the 1970s. So a journalist named uh, Linda Lapnick, I think it's uh, Linda Lipnack Cool, I think her name is from memory. She was murdered in 1978 um, at the tail end of having done a decade's worth of research and interviews into what would be the definitive profile piece on Billie Holiday. Now, those interviews and those works never saw the light of day until now, when Erskine has basically taken them and gone full Asif Kapadia on them. But more than that, more than just providing a biography for Billie Holiday herself, he's also gone and reworked it ever so slightly so that it also pays tribute to uh, Linda Lipnett Cool as well. So it is actually a biographical documentary about the lives of two women, one infinitely more famous than the other, one doing a piece on the more famous, and also how their individual stories intertwine. No innovator was like her, nobody. Beautiful soul that she could only express by singing. Encore and encore. Without even trying, she was the great lady of all time. Billy, why so many jazz greats seem to die so early? The only way I can answer that question is, we try to live 100 days in one day. She was an extremist. But what's made it the way she is? Everybody wanted something out of her. No vocalist that ever went through what she went through. Are you a Billy Holiday fan then, Bex? I love him. <laughs> That's uh, it's clueless, isn't it? Clueless, yeah, that's the clueless. Yeah. I love. Do you know what people who don't like that joke often falls flat on people? I suppose like my husband, who actually doesn't have a clue who Billie Holiday is. But for anyone oh. who, yeah, who knew who Billy, the great Billie Holiday was, it is such a brilliant line in Clueless. So for anyone who doesn't know, I literally held up a little sign to Van going, "Ask me if I'm a Billie Holiday fan." <laughs> when, when we pivot to video, we're not going to be able to get away with that, are we? I anyway. know. I know, but for now, we'll enjoy it. But yes, a massive Billie Holiday fan. And you know what? I love a good um, biography. I also love the fact that you're comparing it to kind of Asif Kapadia um, territory Amy. because, yeah, because the thing about what Asif Kapadia did, and I've said this before, is that he really changed the game in terms of the format in which you emotively can get involved in a documentary. Yes. And if this is following suit with that, then I can only imagine that it's going to be an incredibly immersive experience. Oh, it very much is. It's a must-see, not just for Billie Holiday fans, but 
like yourself, fans of the musical biographical documentary form, wanting to see something different done with it, like Capardia did with Amy, which was now an astonishing five years ago. How long ago did Amy Winehouse die? Because that doesn't seem like five years. I think she died in like 2011. I think it was really early. Yeah, something crazy like that. Well, this is like uh, Capardia's work. This is really intricately constructed. This is a lot of uh, new access, a lot of behind the scenes material that we've never seen before, a lot of personal recordings, things like that, played out over these 1970s interview recordings, which are at once very candid, but also very authoritative, very authentic. And they really add to what becomes this sort of emphatically compelling story. Because, I I mean, I asked specifically to cover this in the Morning Star this week because, as I justified, I just don't know anything about Billie Holiday. And it Mm. would be, you know, I'm going to be more interested because this is someone I know very little about. I'd like to know that story. I'm glad I did because it is an interesting story and it's filled with heartbreak and triumph and tragedy and in equal measure. But the fact, though, that it takes the time to pay its respects to cool along with Holiday along the way and like I say even in, intertwines and intertwines those, those two those two female subjects I really love that I love that it's done not only with delicacy but with respect I think it's genuinely unmissable stuff I think you, you if you liked Amy you're going to love this as well I think yeah and do you know what in my household we've started what we like to call documentary Mondays which is you know if we're going to watch <laughs> anything we're going to dedicate we're going to dedicate one night a week to documentaries and this is top of our list for Monday night it, does this have anything to do with the coincidental uh, acquisition we have of the CNN the 90s documentary, which I know you um, and I both enjoyed? I have very much enjoyed that. I am so where you've given you, what you've actually given me is 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I'm working backwards because I was like, no, I just want to look at the <laughs> technology. I started age. with the 90s, and they went back to the 60s. I'm on the 80s now. I, I also started not at the beginning of that, uh, the whole series. I started from the Steve Jobs Microsoft big battle yeah. and then working my way backwards. So, yeah, it's amazing. Oh, it's, it, it's, it's a wonderful documentary series. I, I hope they do a noughties episode. Miriam and I watched the music one, the 90s music one, and yep. the uh, 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 was it the, the TV episode, which was very good as well. Which I'm coming on- Seinfeld, Sopranos, yeah. I'm coming on to the, the TV one, but I have to say, with the music one, Alanis Morissette has aged so well. She is beautiful now. Morissette be looking good. Yes, she does. <laughs> so let's let's talk then about uh, a very, very different film to Billy. Wow. Yes, yes. One well, that we've both seen this time. So Rent-A-Pal, a new movie from writer, director, editor, producer, John Stevenson, uh, starring, what's his name now? It's uh, Brian Folk, Brian Landis Falkins, I think his name, and none other than Wesley Crusher himself, Will Wheaton. So, uh, rent a pal, Miss Perfect. Would you like to take it away? Oh, it's a, yeah, okay. So it's it's set in the eighties. It is the story of um, a guy who has he's forty years old. He lives at home with his mother, who suffers from dementia. He, in his heart of hearts, is a very caring guy, and he feels that he is unlucky in love. And so we obviously did not have Tinder or virtual dating or anything (laughs) like that back in the day. What you had was, I think it's called Rendezvous, Rendezvous for You or something. VHS dating, isn't it? Yeah. But it was really, it was a really cheesy way. You'd go in and you'd film yourself and then those tapes would be sent off to whoever you might match Hmm. with. And they have a little notebook, which you you write down your notes in and then you try and um, pair up with said potential match. 
Anyway, so it works both ways. And obviously he was doing this and looking at some girls that he quite fancied and vice versa. And always going into the uh, the office and saying, you know, is there a match? And unfortunately, never kind of paying off. But one day when he goes in, he picks up another VHS, which is called Rent-A-Pal, starring essentially just a guy in a very odd tank top. And, and, and it's, a small, uh, it's like a blank void, doesn't it? It looks like the current set of last week tonight, but it's just yes. with an armchair and a white void. Yeah. And Will Wheaton in a wool vest and a nice button-down button shirt underneath. Absolutely. And he just suddenly becomes not your lover, but your friend. And this takes its own very sinister turn, as you'll find out. Hi, I'm Andy. Thanks for being here today. Well, let's cut to the chase. I'm here to be your friend. How's that sound? Oh, that sounds great, Andy. All right, that's great. Well, I am excited. I am really excited. I mean, I gotta be honest with you here. I have been waiting for this moment for what feels like forever. And gosh, I am just so pleased that you decided to take this journey with me. We're going to get to know each other. We're going to talk about whatever you want. But more than anything, we're going to have some fun. And hopefully, it's the start of a beautiful relationship. What do you say? Sounds weird, Andy. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a very big fan of it. I think you said uh, Black Mirror episode. It reminded you of a Black Mirror episode. Because of the period piece setting, for me, I thought more of 80s Twilight Zone. Which is kind of yes. Yes. When you had that 80s Twilight Zone that then gave way to 90s Outer Limits, yes. uh, kind of a kind of a hoopla. Um, I think Will Wheaton, against all odds, is perfectly cast in this. I think he's great fun in this. A lot of mileage comes out of just how brilliantly sinister of a very cheerful Will Wheaton is. But I think uh, Brian Landis uh, Falkins as well is, I think he's great. I think it's a very balanced, very careful performance. Mm, I think he yeah. has a lot of the weight of the film put upon his shoulder. It doesn't change the game. No. It's a little, it's about 10 minutes, maybe 10 minutes too long. And the synthwave score is massively overdone. Like you can tell that was one yeah. of the early creative decisions. And I think they were planning to, to hang the movie a lot more on that by the sound of it. Yeah, but I, you're right in terms of the balance that Brian Landis, Brian Landis, what's his surname? Falkins. Falkins, um, Falkins has yeah. because... He has this really delicate balance because of the way that he he lives with his mum. And one of the first things you see when he watches some videos is he kind of mm. finds a girl that he almost matches with. And then right at the end, she goes, but if you live in the basement of your parents' house, I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that just you just see the disheartened sort of feel on his face. And it's all very subtle. But what you also mm. see is as the film progresses the turn in him and the obsession that he yeah. has with his rent-a-pal and how that turns very, very dark. And that's the balance that if that was played out too quickly, wouldn't work mm. in this film. I mean, and it's all, I think it's a, a quite a clever ride as well. I mean, academically, in terms of a film, how the film is made, about half of it is quite boilerplate and the other half actually has something quite special there. There's a lot of, uh, you know, a, a cut between shots of the interiors of VHS players and things like that that are quite mm. artful and cool. You combine it with the, with the synthwave score at times it works uh, but like I say it's, it's just nothing particularly groundbreaking in that regard having said that it is self-aware enough to know that mm. and it does simply allow you to go with it and have a good time so it's not going to change the world 
but it will give you a good time in said world. It, it's yeah. got a lot of uh, darkly sinister laughs to be had. There's some schlock value. I had fun. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're right to mention the Twilight Zone, the Outer Limits, and also Black Mirror. If that is up your street, this will be well worth your time to watch. So it feels like an extended episode of one of those, but very much enjoyable at the same time. Welcome back to Offscreen. Uh, we are keeping you on your couch and this is the moment that we like to introduce you to all of your favourites that you can watch on the telly box. So I'm going to start by saying I've just had a little bit of a preview look at this script and Van, I've got a question for you. <laughs> why, why, not that I'm overly averse to this, but why on earth is it such a sausage fest this week? <laughs> But you know what? We can't be blamed for that. You know, that's 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 the people at the TV networks and the movies they choose to show. Like this week, I think we managed one and a half female-centric films. And that's only because I think Sweet Home Alabama clashed with something better. And also, really, you want to talk about Sweet Home Alabama? No. Do you know what, but... man? You know what? You're going to have the Me Too movement on your case any moment now. So <laughs> I'm just going to say... Well, before before they get to us and bust the door down, let's start with the Saturday night. 10.20, bit of a late one for this, because I would have considered this a bit more of a family film. 10.20, Saturday night on BBC One. And this is 2015's Ant-Man, starring Paul Rudd making his debut in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He is, of course, Scott Lang, the reformed ex-con, who gains the ability to shrink down to microscopic, literally the size of an ant, but also retains the proportional strength and speed of a human being, but also can communicate with ants. I've got a clip for you of what happens when his former crew, his new crew, sorry, have to team up with the owner of the Ant-Man suit, Hank Pym, as played by the fantastic, and I say that because I got to interview him for this, Michael Douglas. Thank you for the coffee, ma'am. It's not too often that you rob a place and they get welcome back, because I mean, we just robbed you. You know that he was arrested for stealing a smoothie machine, right? Two smoothie machines. Are you sure they can handle this? Oh, we can handle it. We're professionals. You'll forgive us if we're not instilled with confidence. Well, hey, everybody, just kick back and relax a little bit, man. We know our business. We broke into this spooky-ass house, didn't we? I let you. Well, one could say that I let you let me. Look, it's okay. They can handle this. Yeah, we can handle it. You got their credentials? He's in the system. I'm in the system. The system? system? Yeah, we're doomed. Okay, I'm going to say that Ant-Man is one of my favourite Marvel movies. Um, I howled with laughter throughout this. Um, it didn't It didn't get up there with the critics, though, as one of the top Marvel movies, which I was flabbergasted by because there were moments, and I will just say like a toy train, uh, which um, absolutely plays on and tickles your fancy for anyone who, from a nostalgic point of view, but also just gets it, you know? so clever that's the weird thing with Ant-Man because Ant-Man is you know a legacy Avenger like Ant-Man is one of the very original like 1960s comic book Avengers he's also in the comics the creator of Ultron which noticeably they changed in the movies because Ultron came along before Ant-Man um one of the things I really like about Ant-Man is that despite the fact that it was a production, well, not a production disaster, but a development 
disaster. It had meant to be written and directed by Edgar Wright and uh, Adam Cornish and uh, Joe Cornish, sorry, Adam Books and Joe, Joe Cornish, Cornish. yeah. And Joe Cornish, very different thing. <laughs> they didn't quite make it to the final production. They had disagreements with Marvel. They walked away. They are still credited as being involved in the development of the story. Uh, writing responsibilities then fell to, I think, Peyton Reed and Paul Rudd, who took it over. The train sequence that you're so fond of, that is left over from uh, Edgar Wright. And you can see why Edgar Wright would be drawn to this. It's got very much... Uh, an open field for him to unleash his bevy of cinematic tricks and it would have been great but after all that I think critics were determined that this was not going to be as good as it could be because you know Edgar Wright is the critics baby I mean Mm. everyone loved everyone loved Baby Driver before they'd even seen a frame of it as luck would have it the movie turned out to be pretty good but in the case of this one I think the knives were out for this because it was going to be an Edgar Wright film and then wasn't. They gave it to the guy who made Down With Love and people were naturally against that. But it is a boilerplate heist movie in the Marvel Universe relying heavily on the comedy of Paul Rudd and Michael Pena, which is more than good enough for you and me, clearly. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think it's such a shame to learn what you've just told us about, Mm. you know, I suppose the politics behind it. And actually what that means and what my advice to all of you lovely lot listening would be is to just take it for what it is and have a thoroughly good time with it. This is a brilliant Marvel movie. It has all of the key characteristics that you want from a Marvel movie. The humour is on point. The acting is brilliant. You get Michael Douglas in a role that you probably didn't expect to see him in. And it works so, so well. It's very true. And two things you get off the back of this. First of all, you get a great Avengers cameo in here from one of the the then relatively new Avengers. But also, you do wind up getting a sequel that serves the immeasurable uh, honour of introducing Walton Goggins to the MCU, which makes me tremendously happy. But that's Saturday (laughs) night for you anyway. Uh, Sunday night, how do you feel, Bex, about the combination of Sly and Arnie? Do you know what? This This is groundbreaking. For a kid of the 90s, this is groundbreaking <laughs> partnership for me. And also, don't forget that there is also the 90s rapper 50 Cent in this as well. Um, oh, is but, he 90s? Uh, Would you say he's 90s? I don't know. Is it late? I think he's 99, 2000s. So. Feels like about then, doesn't it? It feels yeah. like millennium kind of time. He can maybe. drop in. He can drop in. But look, I actually haven't seen this movie. We are talking, of course, about Escape Plan. Um, but I haven't seen this movie, but I loved the concept of it. And I loved the idea because it was like Prison Break, but with Stallone and Schwarzenegger. <laughs> That is exactly what it is. So it's roughly the, the, the prospect of Prison Break. So, um, the concept of Prison Break. So, film four, uh, Sunday night, 10.50. Do watch. This is a nice, tidy, 90-minute actioner. Arnie and Sly in prison. The warden is Jim Caviezel from Person of Interest and The Passion of the Christ. And they have to bust out of prison. Oh, and Vincent D'Onofrio and 50 Cent, as you put out, pointed out, are in this movie. So, uh, Stallone is Ray Breslin. He's the world's foremost escape artist. He prisons hire him to be locked up and then escape so that they can plug all the holes in their security and he is hired to take on a supposedly inescapable facility using only his natural skill set and nothing else to find his way out teaming up with a german prisoner or i think he's german in this uh, in this case played by arnie along the way i'll give you a sample of what it sounds like when stallone goes full michael schofield on us any break requires three things. Knowing the layout, understanding the routine, and help from outside or in. 
If you know the layout, the weak side is obvious. In Ben Waters' case, it's the secure housing unit. It's located next to an unsecured fire garage. Knowing the guard's routine was the next step. After I knew the routine, all I had to do was pick the day. Cartons contain a thin layer of wax laminate. Lay it over the keypad. The impression will indicate which four keys were pressed. After I covered my tracks, I had one minute to make it to the fire response ship before the team did. Before you know it, I'm right where I want to be. Just in time to catch my ride. And your man drove me right off the ground. This is really actually quite good. And also, I can't help but think, Sly really could have used this skill set in the movie Lockup. You know when he's actually put in prison <laughs> and tortured by uh, Donald Sutherland? Yes. And do you know what? Like, I just remember, I know, although I haven't seen this, I do remember loads of critics being pleasantly surprised by this movie. Yeah, it's quite a lean, punchy thriller. It works quite well. It doesn't rely too much on the 80s muscle aesthetic element of an Arnie Sly actioner. It is a lot more about the calculated psychology of breaking out of prison, about finding the cogs in the machine, about spotting the gap in patterns and things like that. It And it does deliver a few twists and turns along the way. I had a good time with it. It's not, because like I say, this is, you know, exactly what you think it's going to be. It's a breezy sort of 90 minute, 100 minute kind of thriller, action thriller, starring Arnie Sly and you know, person of interest, dude, Jim Caviezel. Watch it, you will have a good time, I think. But good times being uh, the order du jour, Monday nights. Oof, this is one you. This is one you start the week with. This is a banger. So, film four, nine p.m. Bex. It's Central Intelligence, the first team up between the biggest movie star in the world, Dwayne Johnson, and I think the second biggest movie star in the world, if we're going by the box office numbers. Kevin Hart. Well, I'd certainly say the biggest comedian in the world right mm. now, I suppose, Kevin Hart. So yeah, so you just remind <laughs> you just reminded me of the, that I had seen this movie of Central Intelligence. So it obviously stars The Rock and Kevin Hart. But the brilliant thing is that they, they play, um, well, one of them plays um, an accountant called Calvin Joyner, whose life changes drastically after Bob Stone, his classmate in high school, drabs, drags him into a dubious covert operation. Now, the big thing that you reminded me of with this, you went, yeah, of course you've seen this film. It's the one where The Rock used to be fat and now he's not. <laughs> that like, that's the gag, isn't it? Because that's yeah. the famous marketing thing. For, there's two things you remember this movie for, right? Yeah. Firstly, you remember the sequence in which Dwayne Johnson is in a fat suit, augmented with CGI, singing in the shower. You remember that yeah. bit. Uh, the other thing is, you'll remember Dwayne Johnson in a bright yellow t-shirt and a pair of uh, camouflage three-quarter length shorts with a fanny pack, as they call yeah. it, a bum bag. You'll <laughs> remember bag. that. But that's a case in point. We'll get to that in a minute, but I'll tell you what, let's give you a, sab- a sample of uh, Dwayne Johnson's Bob Stone dragging Calvin along on his life-or-death mission. Listen to me. Listen. Stop. Stop. I need to know what is happening right now. Okay, okay, you know what? Moving too fast. Bottom line, are you in or are you out? What are you talking In or out or what? Mm-mm, no time for questions, just action. In or out. Okay, well, then I'm out. I'm sorry, Jet. Actually, you're already in. Okay, then why would you ask me? Because I thought you would go, I'm in, Bob, and we would have had a really cool moment, but uh, you kind of ruined the whole thing. I won't. 
Okay, 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 listen, listen to me right now. Bob, I don't, I don't know what it is that you're into, but what I do know is that I am really, really a hundred percent out. So this for me, and this is only three years ago now, but this for me marks the point at which, I think it's three, four years ago, at which Dwayne Johnson, who'd always been quite a tongue-in-cheek performer by by this time, um, but this is the point at which he starts actively making fun of his own image. Things like the fanny pack, obviously being a reference to that famous picture of Dwayne Johnson in the turtleneck with the with, with you know the same the leather, the denim. It's it's all a play on the brand of Dwayne Johnson himself, and I. Think I think the team up of him and Kevin Hart works gangbusters. It's quite a rollicking action comedy. Yeah, and then like you know, moving forward from that, we see them again in things like Jumanji and stuff. So you know that mm. that dynamic works really well. What this reminds me of, and this is a personal note for both Van and myself, is these are the types of films that you go to a screening where they would serve you pizza and beer, and you just know <laughs> that you're going to have a really fun evening. Um, with God, I miss like our that. lives. I know, right? Um, so there's a little bit of it like I, I, I would just say I've got to watch this because it will just bring back all the nostalgia the fun days that we would have with this but yes listen guys it's well worth your time this is although a sausage fest of selection of movies it's still very much fun so that's kicking off the first half of your week we'll be back with the second and now it's time for a segment of the show we like to call Off Screen Pays the Bills. Hi, Bex. Oh, hi, Van. How you doing? I am all good. Nothing going on but the rent, as you know. I'll tell you what, Van. I am having... If anyone could see me, I'm having such a bad hair day today. So don't judge, okay? No, but you know what? That does lead us very nicely to our sponsor, who I, I think can help you out. This is Kitsch Shampoo and Conditioner Bars. I believe you know about them. Oh, yes. They are just a bar away of having a salon quality hair which is exactly what I need during lockdown. So basically, this bar allows you to basically nourish, clarify and repair your hair. After just one wash, you're going to notice a real difference. So the great thing about this is not only does it do all these amazing things to your hair, but you look good, you feel good, you love your hair, but also it's a zero waste product, okay? So one bar is estimated to last around 100 washes, which for me, really wanting to go green is going to save up to two bottles of liquid shampoo or conditioner there's nothing wasteful in this it looks great it will feel great it's something i need to get my hands on and i hope you guys do too that sounds like something i'd be up for oh well i'm glad that you say that because actually kitch has got a five day challenge going on so if you are planning from switching to shampoo and conditioner bars from your normal liquid form then all you need to do is take five days to try out the kitsch shampoo and conditioner bars and they will guarantee that these bars will be your new best friend. So if you are ready for beautiful hair and 100% satisfaction guaranteed, then you can definitely share your journey after you try it out on Instagram at mykitsch and on TikTok as well at Kitch. And I just want to talk to you really quickly about uh, Free Lunch Coffee, who are our sponsors for this week. Uh, they are an organization who are on a mission to end child hunger from the world. So the idea here is that when a child doesn't have to worry about their next meal, they get to focus on you know their natural gifts and their natural talents that will allow them to go out and make a difference in the world, especially now with uh, you know with the state of the world as it, uh, as it presently is. Uh, with every bag of coffee that you buy from Free Lunch Coffee, 
you are supporting a child being fed for two whole weeks. So they give away 50% of the money they make to end hunger from the lives of underprivileged children. And the coffee itself is specialty grade. It's certified organic. It's fair trade. They offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. And best of all, they're offering our listeners 10% off as well. They just have to use the coupon code off screen, and they can find all of that over at freelunchcoffee.com. Welcome back to Off Screen. Now, keeping you on that couch and beginning your second half of the week on Freeview's filmic pickings, let's talk about the movie that started an entire subgenre all the way back in 1998. Everyone likes to give Spider Man the credit in, in 2002 or X Men the credit in 2000. Me, I go all the way back to 1998 with the uh, was it Stephen Norrington? I think directed the first uh, the first one of these. Uh, Wesley Snipes starring. Blade, an adaptation of the uh, of the famous Mar- well, the Marvel characters, famously depicted in the Tomb of Dracula comics, uh, popular in the 1970s during the very exploitation period that Marvel comics had. So, Snipes is Blade. He is, I think, at one point he actually is given a human name of Eric something, it's like Eric <laughs> Davis or something. <laughs> Hi, I'm Eric, aka Blade. <laughs> wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just pay? You'd pay good money, like here and now, to see literally any action movie in which Wesley Snipes plays a chap named Eric. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's not Eric. He's the Daywalker. He is essentially a hybridized vampire human who doubles as a vampire hunter. He has all of their strengths, none of their weaknesses, and he goes to war with a rising star, a wannabe leader of the vampire world that operates secretly under the uh, under the in the shadows away from the watchful eyes of the human race and he is no none other than deacon frost as played by stephen dorf remember stephen dorf how cool was stephen dorf in the stephen 90s? dorf was so cool almost up there as like ethan hawk kind of feel as well so look both of those Sorry, yeah. <laughs> i have to say i have just seen a recent like Steve, uh, ethan hawk turns 50 and i was like don't leave a headline like that it makes me feel so old <laughs> Well, the meanwhile, he may not—he may, he may have turned fifty long ago, but here is Wesley Snipes turning badass. And I'm supposed to believe all this. Well, you already met Mr. Crispy at the hospital. What do you think? So, what do you use then? Stakes, crosses. Crosses don't do squat. Some legends are true, though. Vampires are severely allergic to silver. Feed them garlic, and they're going anaphylactic shock. And of course, there's always sunlight, ultraviolet rays. I got this sucker running. You want to give it a try tonight? Still heavy, but you're so big. For anyone who has ever visited Comic-Con, I have to say, (laughs) every single year, without a shadow of a doubt, there is going to be someone who pulls out the most impressive blade cosplay <laughs> like it is it's almost a given it is almost a given and i love i love blade for not for many reasons but that is one of them <laughs> I think the uh, the trilogy now is available on, I think, Amazon Prime. Later this week, I think, uh, Thursday night maybe, Blade 2 is showing. I didn't spot Blade Trinity anywhere yeah. to complete the trilogy. but uh, And I have a soft spot for Blade Tr- Trinity as well, even though it's critically lambasted, because Ryan Reynolds being awesome, what's not to love. But uh, the first movie, this is where it all began. This movie 
popularized the comic book movie art form so hard, injected it with so much new energy, that it wound up spawning, you know, an, an entire subgenre that led all the way to the biggest earning box office grocer of all time currently, which is obviously Avengers Endgame. We're getting a new Blade now, who's going to be Mahershala Ali. We can look forward to seeing him in two or three years in an MCU version of Blade, which I'm very much looking forward to. But for me, it's all about Snipes. Snipes to Blade is like Christopher Reeve to Superman. There's just no one else who... They'll, they'll be great Superman, but they'll never be another Christopher Reeve. They'll be great Blades. I'm sure Mahershala will be great, but... You can't top Snipes. He's so ice cold cool in this. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. So that is on Five Star, 9 p.m. on Tuesday. If you are a fan and haven't seen it in a while, make sure you go back and revisit Blade. Now, moving on to Wednesday, something that I would say is probably not as iconic in any way, shape, or form, even though you no. might, you may, may jump at the chance of seeing what. You can only describe as the most beautiful man in the world at the time, um, Brad Pitt in, you know, gladiator gear. And also uh, the what was the woman to play the most beautiful woman of all time, Diane Kruger, um, playing, what what was she, not Cleopatra in this? Helen of Troy. Helen Helen of of Troy, Troy. of course. Hence the the clever title. Oh, yeah. So for anyone that hasn't guessed it, like me, the title of this movie, which is on Paramount at nine o'clock, is obviously Troy. Put down your spear. But I'm fighting the Trojans, cousin. Not today. But I'm ready. You taught me how to fight. And you're a good student. But you're not a Myrmidon yet. Look at these men. They are the fiercest soldiers in all of Greece. Each of them has bled for me. You will guard the ship. But this is a war. Cousin, I can't fight the Trojans if I'm concerned for you. Guard the ship. No, I actually think this is way better than anyone gives it credit for. I think at its core, it's a very old school, late 60s, early 70s Hollywood epic that isn't actually an epic. It's a big Hollywood movie, but at the same time, it's not re- It's not a Cleopatra. It's not a Ten Commandments. It's not one of the all-timer epics. What it is, however, is this punchy, breezy, very of its time, very 2004, Wolfgang Peterson sword and sandals thriller which is great i mean casting brad pitt as achilles is on the one hand idiotic but on the other hand kind of perfect and you look at the cast that's in here it's one of the final performances of peter o'toole uh you've got orlando bloom who's perfectly cast as paris eric barner as hector i think uh, saffron burrows is in there as hector's wife uh, brian cox brandon gleason garrett headland you heard in the clip there as uh, 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 achilles's cousin and more importantly you've got Sean Bean as the most Yorkshire (laughs) Greek who ever lived. We are talking about an ancient Greek character who I swear to God at one point genuinely greets Brad Pitt with the words, what, Achilles? (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. What's not to love? (laughs) What's not to love with that? Um, Do you know what? I am am so that kid who grew up watching Jason and and the Argonauts, The Ten Commandments, you know, those, Mm. Cleopatra, those big 60s movies that you mentioned. And I remember, so I was at university at the time when this came out, being really excited and rounding everyone up and going, we've got to go and see Troy. And I think when you've got that benchmark of what they achieved back in the 60s, 
of like from the like a technical progression as well with the practical effects yeah. and everything you kind of you, your your bar is quite set quite high and actually i remember leaving this wanting it like like whilst my friends were a bit sort of like yeah it was okay Brad Pitt was hot but you know where I was like no it could have been like there was just moments I think elements that was missed out of this that could have made it that much better mm. but it is totally watchable it is a fun jaunt through this period of history in a way like you know that's that's the way to look at it and not take it too seriously I think so. There's no greater subtext to this. There's no, because of the time it's made, when everyone was starting to do their war on terror parables, they noticeably sidestep that, which I think is very clever as well. And it is more about arrogance in leadership than anything else. But do check it out. I think it's a, it's a great Sword and Sandals romp. That's Paramount, Wednesday night at 9pm. Uh, well, we've got to speed this up. Okay, so Thursday night, five star, 11pm, Bex. I will always love you. Oh, 1992. We will always love that year as well. Um, it is the year yeah. of Whitney and Kevin. Um, it is one of my oh. fa- one of my favourite films of all times. The Queen of the Night. Um, it is The Bodyguard, and it is available for you on Five Star, 11 p.m. We're not going to talk too much about this because we know just how much everyone has watched this again and again and again. But it took that Dolly Parton song and turned it into something iconic. And what a story to match. You don't approve of me, do you? Disapproval is a luxury I can't afford. Oh, gets in the way, right? Don't like your emotions getting to you? Never makes business with pleasure. That's right. Will you grab that jacket for me, the red one, please? I'm here to keep you alive, not help you shop. Thanks. Now, legend has it, because obviously we've had a lot of coverage of Whitney Houston in the last few years. There's been quite a couple of documentaries and things about her, and we have got a, a narrative feature coming. Um, apparently, it's Kevin Costner who suggested that the opening of Whitney's cover of uh, I Will Always Love You be sans music, that it just be vocal only. And that is apparently Kevin Costner's suggestion. So you can thank Kevin Costner for one of the most iconic songs, nay, iconic covers, ever recorded. But I think uh, I watched this uh, for the first time in many years this past year, and it does hold up. I I can see why there is constantly talk of doing a follow-up or recycling the format for the next generation. I think there was talk at one point of having Beyonce do a sequel to it or something like that. There was a Lady Gaga version banded around at some point. Every few years, whoever the star is gets mentioned in the same breath as let's do a sequel. At one point, they were going to do one in which uh, Princess Di was going to play herself, and that was going to be the sequel. It was going to be Kevin Costner protecting Princess Di, which I'm sure would have aged terribly, wouldn't it? Oh, 100%. But do you know what? Like, the fact that you've said that this holds up is, Mm -hmm. like, that's for every reason why it doesn't need to be remade. Just go back, go and visit it. There is only one Whitney, and she did, she played Rachel Maron so, so well. And do you know what? Just, Just don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Before we move on, am I crazy or is Luke Goss in this movie? Am I remembering that one? Is it Matt Goss or Luke Goss? One of the, I feel like one of, or is it Kemp? Is it one of the Kemp's? One of the Kemp's or one of the Gosses is oh. in this movie, and I can't remember which. It might be Gary Kemp, I think. It might Ooh, be. That's going to bother me. Yeah, you. that's going to bother me as well. Thanks for that. Right, should we it's move a on? Kemp, it's either a Kemp <laughs> or a Goss. We'll, we'll figure it out. But let's move on to Friday. Round out the week. 
with a, with a bit of... How about we go for a paddle in shark-infested waters? It is The Shallows. Juan Colles Sarah's 2016 survival thriller starring Blake Lively as a surfer trapped on a buoy being, hunt, being surrounded, circled, and hunted to death by a killer shark. seen this movie but that trailer no no and that and i'll tell you why uh that trailer was painful to listen to there's a lot of shouting there and i can only imagine (laughs) and i'm hoping that this is only an hour and a half long at most that this film is that that is what i imagine it just to be and i can't see and quite like um the the film is it buried with ryan reynolds i'm like i would there, there has to be some hell of a magic formula to get Blake Lively off this boy, and don't take that in the wrong way, it's not what I'm saying. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, and um, and is that all this film is? I mean, well, what? Like, really? Friday night? Come on, Van. Is this the best that we can do? Right, I'm going to hook you up with this film. This film is great. This is a really rousing, pounding thriller. It has got gumption. Blake Lively, I think, is great in it. I think one call like Sarah uh, stages and, and just, just directs the hell out of it. I think for what it is, which is effectively, you know, woman versus shark, I think it's actually quite suspenseful and takes you in directions you wouldn't quite expect. Also, it does give her a, a you know, a, a, a someone to interact with. It's own Wilson, if you will, in the form of none other than Steven Seagull. A Seagull <laughs> who she names... Steven Siegel, uh, which is, you know, th- that's a gag worth the movie on its own. So next Friday, film four, 10.50 p.m. I cannot recommend highly enough. You venture into the shallows uh, with Blake Lively. It is definitely a good time. It's definitely worth, worth a ride. All right. Well, I'll report back and let you know what I think. Welcome back to Off Screen. So I hope you've enjoyed all of the offerings that we've been bringing you for what is on for you to watch on telly with all your movies. Now we're taking you over to the world of DVD, Blu-ray and streaming. And I just want to relay a conversation that Van and I have just literally had over this first uh, offering for you for on DVD. It's called Rogue. And I said, oh, I don't know what this is, Van. What is it? And you were like, and Van responded with Megan Fox and a tiger. And I was like, you got this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this, this is this is the weirdest pitch I've ever heard for a movie, and I love it. This is up there with Nicolas Cage in Primal, only this is actually a better movie. So this is, uh, Megan Fox is the leader of a team of mercenaries. Okay, that's your first implausible. <laughs> I'm sold. She, <laughs> yeah, she has to rescue some hostages in, uh, you know, from a tribal militia in Africa. Uh, they chase her and her team, you know, across the plains. They find an abandoned uh, animal breeding sort of facilities, where sort of a black market animal breeding facility that has been abandoned. They house up there for the night, and whilst they are there, they are hunted by a tiger. So it's soldiers versus tribal militia types and a giant tiger a tiger lion i think maybe a lion but it's a rogue and that's the point the idea being it is the prominent female leader of the soldiers versus 
the prominent rogue female lion. It's actually pretty decent. The CG's a bit ropey in the in the third act, but there's some good jump scares. It's you know, literally commandos versus killer lion. And do you know what? It delivers. It delivers on those stakes. I gotta say, I was not expecting much from Megan Fox as a commando who takes on a lion. But uh, do you know what? I like being proved wrong. This was fun. I had a good time. Does she get? To, does she look perfectly made up in in every single shot? <laughs> She does. She really does. Then it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> well, she does. But there's also the fact that you just look at Megan Fox and just think, lady, there ain't no way you could physically lift a gun, let alone kill dudes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But she the is there, like, movie. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> per- perfect skin, eyeliners on, you know, the, brows, the brow game is tight, but she's in a tank top and she's got an assault rifle. So... And I bet she's. Yeah, uh, you know, do you know what? I bet she's not wearing a support bra either. So I mean, look, guys, this is this is. If you want something that is unrealistic, but obviously one for the boys and very much fun, don't shake your head at me like that, Van. You know, it's like that's just a I'm, practical thing that I had to drop in there. <laughs> I'm just saying, let's let's not start grading Megan Fox movies over the practicality of her underwear. Otherwise, we'll be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, something a bit more satirical, a bit fun as we move over to streaming. Now, Rogue is available on DVD and, Blue, uh, DVD and Blu-ray from Monday, uh, November the 16th. So over on streaming, from this coming Sunday, a movie I liked very much. I'm not sure where you sat on this one. Uh, this is uh, uh, Sorry to Bother You, which is a movie starring Lakeith Stanfield, Army Hammer, Danny Glover, Teresa, uh, Tessa Thompson. It's a movie about a young black man who takes a job in a call center where he discovers that in order to boost his sales, he has to adopt his quote-unquote white voice, which is provided by David Cross in voiceover. And his newfound overnight success in adopting this voice soon leads him into the dark, seedy underbelly of capitalism itself. Hey, young blood, let me give you a tip. Use your white voice. Man, I ain't got no white voice. Oh, come on, you know what I mean. You have a white voice in there, you can use it. It's like being pulled over by the police. Oh, no, I just use my regular voice when that happens. I just say, back the fuck up off the car and don't nobody get out. All right, man, I'm just trying to give you some game. You want to make some money here? Then read the script with a white voice. People say I talk with a white voice anyway, so why ain't it helping me out? Well, you know talk white enough. I'm not talking about Will Smith white. I'm talking about the real deal. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Langston from Regal View. I didn't catch you at the wrong time, did I? This film, I remember, was actually touted initially as like there might be some awards sort of backing for this. There was. I think in, in actuality it did turn out to be a bit too weird. I think, for even the Academy. I think to to compare it to anything, you'd have to be looking at things like being John Malkovich, the work of Spike yeah. Jones, and things like that. The way it plays with convention, the way you can have a film inside of a film, the way you break the fourth wall, the, rate, the way you play with reality itself. Now, it's the debut of writer-director Boots Riley, who I think was something of a conceptual artist before this. A conceptual artist and a DJ, I think. And I think it's a hell of a debut. I think it's, like I say, something comparable to 
the work of Spike Jones, the work of Charlie Kaufman, people like that. I think it's something that sits nicely on there, and it does go in all sorts of absolutely bonkers directions. There's a reference to Pinocchio in here that might be one of the most mind-blowing things I've seen in a movie in the past ten years, but a lot of it hinges on just how great Lakeith Stanfield is in the role, and the way he sort of, he kind of works as the audience POV, constantly displaying this dumbfounded reaction to the absurdity of everything going on around him. It's like nothing else you've ever seen, but you know what? It's on Netflix, so try it. If you don't get into it within half an hour, do switch it off because it's not for you, but I think if you like things like being John Malkovich, definitely check this one out. Now, you might have to help me with the next one, Bex, because I never saw The Princess Switch with Vanessa Hudgens. Oh, don't worry, I've got you sorted. So, it's like every year, (laughs) every year, Vanessa Hudgens, who can't get a bigger and better job, turns to Netflix and goes, listen, I'll be your Christmas, I'll be your girl for all seasons, but I'll particularly be your girl for Christmas. And you know that Christmas is here when Vanessa Hudgens steps onto the uh, silver screen for this. Um, So she plays a baker, right? In the first one, she plays a baker who has a doppelganger who's actually a princess and they swap, they swap lives. You have seen this. It I makes sense now. Yeah. No, I, no, I've seen the parent trap, so I know roughly how this works. Yeah, So, um, and it's very schmaltzy. It's so candy cane coloured. I loved it because it got me out of some dark times whilst I was stuck in a studio for hours on end with nothing else to do. Oh. So, you know, so it's returned well, again. So, yeah, so, it's returned again. It and basically, the princess switch. It's not two, is it? It's just no. the princess switch switched again. again. I can't wait. I can't wait for this to come out because it is brilliant. Um, brilliantly bad. Um, and basically, the um, the princess, or should we say, the Duchess Margaret, uh, basically inherits the throne to Montenegro. God knows where that is. Monte- uh, is it Montenegro? Is that where no. she's going to be the heiress? Montenaro or Montenegro? I can't Montanaro. remember. Montenaro. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, basically, she hits a rough patch with a boyfriend. So she, it's up to her double, Princess Stacy, to get the star-crossed lovers back together. Now, one thing I will say about this, which I've just seen is any EastEnders fans out there, and this might be a reflection that you might yeah. not think the sequel is going to be as good as the first, Ricky Norwood, a.k.a. Fatboy from EastEnders, who got crowned, no. <laughs> it seems to be in this. I have no idea. But hey, look. I, it, thought, what? I, I thought you were going to tell me that Adam Woodyatt turns up in this or something, in which I case I was, I was like, Todd Carty, Todd Carty's in a Netflix movie. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> like nope, just Ricky Norwood. Like, and last time we saw him, he got crushed in a um <laughs> he got crushed in a car at a, a junkyard so he was never seen again from extenders oh. sorry spoiler alert from about three years ago but um yeah this is where he's been he's been waiting for his moment to be with vanessa hudgens in a christmas movie and he'll get that moment this sunday november the 15th same day sorry to bother you moving ahead to next thursday and this is on because i have a ridiculous soft spot for this movie its theme song is by probably my favorite band ever the eels and it stars a an at his peak, Sean William Scott, Brecken, Meyer, Tom Green, back when Tom Green could get roles in films, and DJ Qualls. It is, of course, 2000's Todd Phillips introducing movie. It is Road Trip, in which Brecken Meyer makes a sex tape of himself cheating on his girlfriend and then accidentally mails the tape he made to said girlfriend, only to have to set out on a road trip, hence the clever title, to retrieve the tape before she can see it. Hey, Tiff. Uh, it's me coming to you live from Ithaca, New York. Um, I thought I asked you to mail this yesterday. I, I miss you. Yeah, you did. It was on your desk. I mailed it this morning. Barry, fast forward to the horny stuff. 
Is this the kind of you've been sending Tiffany? Name Tiffany. Oh my Oh God! Wait, wait a second. Tell me you mailed the Beth tape to Tiffany. Yes. I love this movie as well. It takes you right back, doesn't it? Oh, it so bad, but I like just by hearing that clip, I'm like, yeah, I remember. Like I like, mm. Rick and Maya was like the kid of the '90s and the early 2000s. Oh yeah, and it it was like he was a skater boy, wasn't it? Travis and Clueless, isn't he? That's yeah. that's, that's how we will always be. Exactly, and this is like you're right, like to say this is the heyday for people like him, but also for um, you know for Tom Green and, and and all of those other brilliant like Amy Smart as well, um, and Sean oh, William Amy Scott. Smart. Yeah, like it's such. You know, a- you know what will make you feel what make you feel really old though is that Amy Smart, you know, who's like the teen love interest in this movie, is you know because of you know the passage of time being what it is, is currently playing a teenager's mum on Stargirl. That's a thing that happened, and now you know that. Oh, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> why do, what, what happened? The question I've got is, what happened to Tom Green? I can't quite remember. Uh, he's still around, I think. I don't know. I imagine he makes a lot of money on Cameo these days. But Road Trip, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a goofy, goofy retro throwback bro comedy, as it were. It's got some, some all-timer gags in it. There's a gag involving a talking dog that I still laugh about to this day. But uh, something that I think is more both of our speed that we'll have to get through quickly is uh, Military Wives, which is arriving on Amazon Prime next Friday, November the 20th. Military Wives, Bex. We shed a tear or two at this, didn't we? Oh, do you know what? You This is the film that I think when we saw it, we looked at the poster and was like, oh, God, here we go. Um, just, you know, these are going to be two hours that we didn't get back. And do you know what? It's the classic do not judge a book by its cover or a film by its poster because this absolutely played on our heartstrings and you're right i shed a tear you were flooding the screening room with tears um this was (laughs) (laughs) this is a brilliant movie about um a group of military wives that set in motion the idea of setting up a choir that whilst their husbands and partners were away on tour duty uh to, to pass the time they created a choir which went stratospheric essentially and became something that military wives on different bases all over the UK in real life are actually doing now. It's a, it's a hell of a film. I think it's got uh, the brilliant pairing of Kristen Scott Thomas and Sharon Horgan, which is not a combination I ever would have considered normally. It's like, you know, you know who should pair with Sharon Horgan? Kristen Scott Thomas. Yeah, get the lady from the English patient. That's just rife for laughs right there. But she's surprisingly funny. Like, Christmas yeah. Scott Thomas really does play, play play on her own stiffness, I think. Sharon Horgan plays to type, but I think uh, Kristen Scott Thomas plays on her own perceived stiffness. And I think it's quite a heartwarming, very charming film. It's from the director of The Full Monty as well. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Peter Atenzio, I think his name is. Well worth watching. If you've got Amazon Prime next Friday, November 20th, do check it out. Bex and I enjoyed it. We had a good time. It follows a very similar kind of formula to The Full Monty. I think it's worth a look. A hundred percent. So if you're after that... It- if you're after that kind of brassed off, full Monty, British nostalgia kind of feel, you can't go wrong with Military Wives. And just one thing that we didn't mention about Road Trip is it was directed by none other than Todd Phillips. So, you know. Well, I say it was, it, was, it was kind of the first film that introduced him to the to, to, to a mainstream audience. I think he'd done one or two small comedies before that. But of course, you know, 20 odd years later, he'd try and win an Oscar for Joker. Yeah. And 
the less we say about that, the better. Anyway, so um, I'm not. I'm, I, I just. I, 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 I like Joker. I'm just sick of talking about it, and I'm sick of hearing about it. That's that's just me and most DC movies. I can't stand hearing about them anymore. It's over. Just let's just kick back and wait for Shazam two. Does anyone Does anyone else realise that Van might be a Marvel fan? Just me. Okay. <laughs> I am. I am. I am. I have no apologies whatsoever. Be a complete Marvel whore. But uh, alas, that rounds up our week for this week. There you go. Fourteen movies for the next seven days. I think we got you covered. That's like two movies a day if you were trying. Well, what else have we got to do? So there we go. That right, is exactly. that is you guys sorted. So until next time, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. 